This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Micah Blanc, episode 183. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, 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 and welcome to the show. I am your host, Michael Blanc. Super excited that you're here to learn all about apartment building investing, the best way to become financially free with real estate, regardless of whether you're an active investor or a passive investor. The destination is exactly the same as well as the vehicle. The strategy is a little bit different. Today, though, we're going to talk to Drew Whitson. Drew Whitson is a full-time apartment investor. He's got his living expenses covered, and he's kind of figured out what to do with his life a little bit more. And he's really trying to figure it out. How can he live a more meaningful, more impactful life? How can he serve other people? And one of the things he does, he's actually one of our mentors. So we have this mentoring program called the Investor Incubator. And he runs that organization. I'm really excited to have him on the show because not only does he have a lot of his own experience, he owns about a thousand units himself, but he has a benefit of working literally with dozens of people going from zero to a hundred every single day. And obviously I'm interested in in how he made that transition from W2 job to quitting. Well, we're going to cover that as well, but I really want to get some feedback on how his students are raising money, how they're being taken seriously by brokers, like what's working kind of now. And that's kind of what we're going to get into in this show here. So I'm really, really excited about uh, having Drew on the show here. Let's get right into the interview with Drew Whitson. Here we go. Drew Whitson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Michael. Happy to be here. So I'm super excited. It took us a long time to get you on a show, which I don't exactly know why that is, but I just want to really love to to dive into your story and find out how exactly is it that Drew Whitson can basically do whatever he wants when he wants to do it and how that came about. So before we get into that, uh, talk to me about what your life is like now, right? Because your life right now, I didn't know you five, whatever, six years ago when you were still working, maybe stressed out. And you know, how is your life different now that you're essentially you know, have your living expenses covered with apartment buildings. Like what is, what's life like now versus was several years ago when you were still working full-time? Sure. You know, I, I think that the big difference between, you know, Drew today versus Drew several years ago is that I have the opportunity to pursue things that I think are meaningful to my life, meaningful to my family. And so I give you a couple of great examples of that. Um, right now I'm, I've been an assistant soccer coach for my little seven-year-old soccer team. And I don't know anything about soccer. I, I just know how to give out high fives to kids. That's all I know. Right. But I can be part of that because that's meaningful for my relationship with my, my, my kids and my family. I have the opportunity right now, I'm a full-time professor of finance at Bethel University in St. Paul. It's my alma mater. Uh, it's something that as I took a look at what I wanted to do with my life, I was thinking, what is it that I found is meaningful? What is it that I want to sort of spend my time doing that engaging and impacting the world? And so that's, I, I get a lot of uh, freedom to be able to um, choose the kind of things that uh, I think are, are worth pursuing and you know fit into the the, the lifestyle and the, the cadence and the schedule of life that fits well with me and my family. Well, you're also one of our senior mentors in a, in a Michael Blanc uh, Investor Incubator Mentoring Program. So you're actually helping people do what you have done, which is quit their jobs with, with real estate. But weren't you able to do some of these things before you were working or were, were those things not really possible? You know, they, they were certainly possible, but they were more challenging and they took a little bit more. It was more difficult. The time and the effort that goes into having a W-2 job from just the commuting time, as well as this kind of the limitations of, you know, a couple of weeks of vacation a year, sort of has an ability to sort of compress some of those things. So for me, it's been very exciting to sort of do what you're talking about, um, being a mentor and a coach to people who are interested in pursuing multifamily real estate syndication, 
um, being able to you know pursue as I, as I sit today, I have about a thousand units I've syndicated across five different states. I got another hundred under contract, and I think I wrote you know uh, LOIs for eight hundred of them last for eight hundred more than last week. So we're we're active. We're we're taking time to pursue things that have a tremendous amount of value, both personally and it gives me a lot of time to pursue those kinds of things professionally. This is what I love about all you guys, all of our mentors that we have uh, providing coaching for our students. You guys are all active syndicators, and it's so it is so cool to see what you guys are all are, are doing. And you told me just the other day, you know what? I don't need to do any more deals. I can cherry pick. I can do a deal when I want to. It's just really cool to be able to do that. And I find that most people who essentially cover the living expenses, it's not that they stop working anymore. Like you know, the idea of sitting on the beach, like retiring, like what do you think about that? Like the whole goal of retirement. Yeah. I think the idea that you can spend a couple weeks on a beach after it being successful in something is great, but you know what? You need to have something in your life that's meaningful, right? I think Bob Dylan had it right. You have to serve someone, right? And who are you going to serve? And if that's if you're just going to serve yourself, I think that your the, the the well of motivation to go down these things that are hard and difficult to do is going to dry up fast. But if you have the motivation in your life that says, here's how I want to impact the world, here's how I want to impact my family, I think you're going to continue to do things. You're never really going to retire because you're going to be always motivated uh, by things that are greater than yourself. And so that's the vision I put in for my students. It's the vision I have for my life is I'm not trying to help you be successful in real estate just to quit your job and sit on a beach. I think there's more to life than that. I want you to do that so you can change things in your family. You can change your career path and then you can keep pursuing the kind of things that is meaningful and you have the chance to impact the world in the way that you want to. Now, you, you just said uh, life is more than just a paycheck. It's more about, about what's meaningful and, and, yeah. and specifically how it can serve others. When did you, when did you figure that out? Is that something that's always been with you? Or when, when did you realize that life was more than you know, earning a paycheck or even providing for your family? Yeah, I, I think that's a value that uh, I had for a long time, but my capacity to do that has grown significantly as I've been able to be successful in multifamily. Uh, moving into the multifamily space has allowed me to accelerate that. It's given me the financial freedom to pursue additional things that I think come into my purview as, you know, what things that I want to be part of or, and be engaged in. Well, is it possible working 50 hours a week to live a meaningful life? Like, let's talk about that for a second. Cause I go back and forth on that. Do, do you feel it's possible or probable or where, you know, what is, what is someone's capacity? You, you use the word capacity. I find that very interesting. What is someone's capacity to live a meaningful life when they're working full time? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it better be possible, right? It better be possible. I mean, it, absolutely. I think it depends. How do you feel about those 50 hours that you're working a week? Are you doing a job that you get to use your skills and experiences and pursue something that is interesting? Um, do you get the chance to be part of an organization that aligns to your values? If you've got a giant boat and a giant house, you feel like maybe your options are limited, right? Maybe you've made lifestyle choices that are forcing you to you know, pursue a career or pursue an occupation that sort of supports that? Or, or is, are you working the other direction? Um, are you working the direction from saying, I want to build a lifestyle around certain things? So there's absolutely capacity to have the ability to pursue things that are meaningful over 50, 50 hours a week, but you have to be extraordinarily intentional about that. And very few people have thought as carefully and can plan life around the ability to do that. One of my favorite phrases is, if you want to make God laugh, tell him you're making plans right? Plans are hard to do. Life is full of amazing challenges. And unless you are extraordinarily diligent and careful about how you're building your life, it's going to be hard to control that. A lot of times that, that career, that job will control you. 
I use words like extraordinary effort really hard. And I, I, th- I think you're being kind and optimistic, Drew. I think it's really difficult for someone to really live out a meaningful life when they're working 50 hours a week. And I, I, know I remember years ago, this is when it kind of light bulb went off with me, but this whole thing about financial freedom is so important is yes. that, you know, you're talking to someone, you, you, you're financially free and you're talking to someone, hey man, you got to figure out what your purpose is, man, what your passion is, man. And, and the other guy's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, dude, I'm yeah. working 50 hours a week. You know, I come home exhausted. I put the kids to bed and I crash on a TV uh, long enough to get up and do it again the next... What are you talking about? Right. And, and it occurred to me that you you, you got to take care of your finances. You got to take care of your, your expenses. You got to cover your expenses in some way. And and even people like Mother Teresa had their expenses taken care of because if she didn't, yes. she couldn't be doing what she what she did. Yes. And, and so, right. you know, this is why I love uh, people like Dave Ramsey, who has this Financial Peace University, which I, I don't know if you used that or not, but you basically get your expenses down and your debt down and you try to figure, try to reduce your expenses and then you try to replace your income with something like multifamily because if you can do that, your options open up incredibly and i don't know if we when you when you quit your job what was that like in other words what was your state of mind like after a while were you can like did you have an identity crisis because a lot of especially men they we wrap up our identity so much in what we do all day so when now you're home at 2 30 in the afternoon you know what was that like for you was it really easy was it a little bit challenging you know i I think right after i left my my full-time w2 job I had a lot of real estate projects that I really wanted to focus on, but I, I found out really quickly that being a real estate investor, being a syndicator is not a full-time job, right? And so I did have a lot of time on my hands trying to figure out what do I do now, right? Because the, you know, so much when you, when you meet someone, especially um, uh, as a guy, when you meet someone, you introduce yourself and the next question is, hey, what do you do for a living? Like, what do you, like, what do, you do? It's, it is a huge part of the identity. Uh, what's your title? Where's your career going? So yeah, there's a tremendous amount sort of wrapped up in that. Am I losing something out of my my career, my identity when I walk away from a full-time job and sort of rely on, you know, leverage multifamily assets five states away? So, yeah, that was that was certainly a, a, a change of mindset. And I think anyone who's grown up with parents and extended families who have normal W-2 jobs who are not entrepreneurs, not owning their own business, um, you don't have a model for seeing what that's like. To, you, you don't have the mindset. You don't have the sort of the vision to sort of say, here's how life can be different. And it's very scary, right? You, you walk away from that with something that is very safe and secure and you get a chance to own your own career and own your own income. Um, but it's very freeing. At some point you sort of own it and you sort of figure out, here's how I want to operate. And then here are the other choices I want to make in my life to pursue that. And I would say for me, Michael, this was something that was deep seated in me that took a while to come out. Before I did my first real estate deal, I got laid off twice in one year. And being laid off twice in one year creates a new paradigm for how you view your employer. And for me, that, that view was from no longer, I resolved after getting laid off twice in one year that I would no longer be beholden to any company or to fill the financial needs of my future. Right? I'm never going to, it's not my company's job to take care of me. It's not my parents' job. It's not the government's job. And so I had this moment of reflection to say, I'm going to figure out how I want to control my own destiny and no longer be beholden to those organizations that might one day decide to do a restructure and the next day you're out of a job. So I, I knew I needed to have, I had that sense of determination to create this alternate, this sort of passive stream of income to give me the kind of security, to give me the confidence. And it finally rose to the top and it finally was able to sort of leave the corporate world and have a chance uh, to let that, that, that desire shine through. So that moment, that decision point, I'm always very interested about decision point. It sounds like that was a pivotal moment for you 
where you decided that enough is enough and your life and your job needed to change in some way. What have you done before then? Had you done any kind of real estate investing before then? Or were you just kind of going along? What had you done before this moment? And I want to ask you kind of what you kind of did after that. Sure. So up until that moment, I had started out doing single family homes. I got to buy when the, the market was down and I used a lot of that equity that got built up over the years. I stripped that out, kept the assets and then started getting into multifamily. So I had probably had, you know, 400 units of multifamily syndication before I quit my W2 job. And I can attribute that to a couple of things. One was I love the ideas of syndication because what you are not doing is giving yourself another job. What you are doing is providing you are the hub for an investment where you're pulling together investors, deals, bankers, and all the other sort of financial and legal partners and to execute a long-term asset. And so I was, it was not getting another job. It was being the quarterback to uh, put together a structured investment. And so I was able to do that because I, I let other people do the kind of jobs that they're best at. I, I'm not an accountant or an attorney or a property manager. I hired those people to do that. And so I was able to do some real estate in the background because of the, uh, the efficiency of time and the efficiency of organization that allowed me to execute a whole bunch of real estate deals while I was still working a full-time job. Um, so it's that what's one of the beautiful things about the multifamily syndication business. So you left your job right around 400 units. Is that right? Correct. All right. So, so that's pretty cool. And the, the listener watching going, that's, that's great, Drew, but how did you get there? Right. Cause yeah. it's, it's not as nearly as interesting to say, Oh, I, I took a portfolio of hundred to 400, but people want to know how did you get into yes. that first, second, third deal? Right. Because we talk about the law of the first deal a lot. And yes. once you have that first deal, it's kind of, you know, it's starting to, it starts to roll almost automatically. But first of all, why did you get started with real estate? What was even a motivator? And then how did you, how did you get started? Yeah. So when I looked across a lot of the asset classes, um, real estate was one of the great investments that you can buy a large asset with someone else's money, right? You, you can't do that with any other asset class, right? You can't, yeah. uh, you, you can't buy an income producing, even stocks, even equities, which are an efficient market. I think the most you can get on a margin is maybe 50%, but the kind of properties that we're looking at, we can get 70, 80%. So I loved the idea that I could use other people's money for both the equity position and the debt position to get into these, these properties that in the long run generally appreciate are not as subject to the economic and fiscal cycles. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of resilience within this asset. And I, I, you just have an ability to kind of let this thing roll. Right? You can be patient, it's, it's patient, it's capital, you can be patient that produces income and appreciates over time and it's tremendous tax benefit. So the asset class was very attractive to me. That's sort of why I ended up doing that. I love the multifamily because of the scale. Right? I love the fact that I can get into larger and larger units and the deal becomes less about me and more about the asset. And so here's my first deal. Um, my business partner and I, you know, Drew Niffen, right? He was my very first business partner. He's been on your show before and you worked that's with That's right. Him. He's one of our uh, earliest coaches and he's now a president of Nighthawk Equity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Our very first deal was a fourplex in a, in a town just outside of St. Paul. And we were so nervous and we went to Wells Fargo because we didn't know there was any other banks out there that existed. And we got put through the ringer. Like we, we went out and found this four unit that was on, it was, it was a vacant property, but Wells Fargo put us through the ringer. More paperwork and phone calls than I could ever believe. And in my mind, it was, boy, if a four unit is this tough, how can anyone buy more than a couple of these or ever do bigger ones? But then we sort of uh, came upon a little bit of a larger assets. We found a 32 unit that we partnered with another guy in our town. So the three of us were able to purchase this 32 unit and it was like the light bulb went on. All of a sudden, we went from working with a retail company, like a retail bank like Wells Fargo, to a small commercial lender in the Minneapolis area. And all of a sudden, it became about the asset and not about us. 
right? It became about does the asset perform? They were they were interested to know that that you know we we had a pulse and that we were we knew what we were doing, right? But for the most part, the bank was a great partner for us, the small commercial bank, to say let's let's underwrite the asset. And so getting those thirty two units uh, was five times easier than getting our four unit. And it just kind of clicked to say as we can scale and all of a sudden we could build our portfolio much quicker. Right? We were able to get into these properties. We were able to get improvement financing improvements. The bank was happy to help us pay for things that increase the value of the asset that collateralized their debt. And so it, the light bulb went on to say, hey, let's just start doing bigger units. And so as we went from a four unit to a 32 unit, and we started looking out at other deals, eventually we ran out of money and then discovered that, you know, let's get into syndication. Let's figure out ways that if we can, if we can be smart enough to identify good cash flowing assets and underwrite them very carefully, we can bring investors on and be able to grow our portfolio without having to put as much of our own capital in there. We could provide a fantastic return for our investors. And then if our investors do well, um, we'll do okay. Yeah. So a lot of people are scared of raising money uh, and you started raising money at one point. How was that? Uh, did you find it scary at the time? Was it, uh, was it very challenging? What was that like raising money for the first time? Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. I mean, it's a very scary experience the first time you raise money because every possible worst case scenario goes through your mind, right? What if you lose your grandma's money, right? What if you lose your friend's money? How does it impact my relationships? So I think the first couple of times, it's very scary to do, right? But here's the thing I've learned about this, Michael. One, the people in you, the first ring people in your life, the people that know you and know you personally um, are going to be incredibly supportive. They're going to want to see you succeed, right? They're going to want to help you be successful in this business. And so while I was sort of, it had to go outside of my comfort zone in order to sort of ask for that first time I raised money, um, I think it, it was easier than I thought because, I mean, everyone sort of wants to, you know, if, if you have a good business case and you've been working on this and you have the right partners in place, it's a great story. People are excited about being able to place money with you and be successful with you. And then the second time around, when you raise money again, those people tell their friends, right? And then you start of your network, as you raise more money, your network starts to grow. And so success breeds success. But yeah, the, the first time you get into this, to, you have to do it. And one of the things that I tell my students, my, my students that are interested in getting into multifamily syndication, is that money follows good deals. If you are disciplined enough and you can find the right deals, you can network your way in to the kind of capital that exists out there. Because I think there's more money than there are good deals out there. So it's, it, it is scary, but as you sort of take steps, to put yourself out there, provide value to other people, um, put together thoughtful, measured, careful business plans, um, you will find that your investor network will continue to, to grow as you continue to move on in this business. Raising money prevents a lot of people with a chicken ed problem, which goes something like this. Oh my gosh, I happened to get lucky and someone accepted my offer. Now, how do I raise money in the next 30 to 45 days, right? Like, ah, uh, yes. I don't know how to do that. Versus I don't, I don't have a deal on a contract, so how am I going to raise money? And and they can't solve this chicken and egg problem. Like, what have you seen kind of work to resolve that that stress, that conflict between in that situation? Sure. So the number one thing that I work on with my students is I say, let's put together uh, a sample deal package, right? Let's look, put together something that is representative of what you want to actually acquire. Or if you've had the chance to sort of passively invest in someone else's deal, put that use that package to say hey, this is what I'm currently invested in, or this is the kind of investment that I want to put to deals together. And what that does is it gives you something to have a conversation with, with prospective investors with no ask for them to say yes or no, right? There's, they're not under any pressure to make a decision. So what I'm able to do with that sample deal package is to say, hey, prospective investor A and B, 
here are the kind of investments that I'm looking for. Here's the criteria. Here's how I do underwriting. Here are the kind of returns I'm getting. Here are the risks. You get a chance to talk about what you want to do in your own deals and you give them a chance to understand how is this real estate business work? How do you, what about these risks of multifamily? So giving them a chance to absorb the, uh, a prospective investment without having to say yes or no really gets them warmed up when you actually have a deal. And so at the end of that conversation with prospective investors on a sample deal, I can say, is this, if something like this came up, is this the kind of investment that you would be interested in pursuing? And so I can get some really soft commitments and they can be excited about something without feeling like I'm selling them, without having to pressure them. So when the real deal comes along, when I really have a deal to put under contract, I already have a network of warmed up investors who know me, who know the kind of deals, they know the structure, so when you put that real deal in front of them, they're very familiar with it. They're familiar with you. And so getting them to say yes in a quick manner and to commit um, is just, it's like magic, Michael. It's, it's just this really um, neat way to engage with people and sort of to find soft commitments. When you get the deal, those dollars come in very easily. And that is the right way to raise money. That's kind of what we teach in our mentoring program is essentially you become an overnight success and allow you to raise hundreds of thousand dollars in just a short few days. Which is Easy. which is awesome. I, I know a lot of people who are want to get into this stuff. They really raising money is certainly one one of those things. And I think we hopefully talked about that. Obviously, a lot more details though. The complexity of raising money is much 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 lower than most people think. It's something that you can learn very quickly. The other thing that yes. people get hung up on a lot is I don't have any experience or I don't have relevant experience. Why would people want to, you know, take me seriously? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't I try to invest in single family houses for five or ten years? You know, they really get hung up on their lack of track record that prevents them in their minds from brokers taking them seriously, investors taking them seriously. What can they kind of do? I mean, should they do ten years of single family house investing before they start this, or is there something that they can do, something else that maybe is faster? Sure. Yeah. I, my, my number one advice, if you're trying to build, if you don't have a track record and you want to jump right from single family to multifamily, it's build a team that the professor, that the professionals will take you seriously with, right? Don't just call up a broker and say, Hey, I'm interested in doing real estate investing, right? You, what you want to be able to do is I want to be able to clearly articulate what it is that I want to invest in and why I want to invest in that asset, right? So let, let me give you an example. If you call a broker and say, I'm interested in multifamily investing, the broker says, great, I've got tons of listings. What are you interested in? And you say, I want you to send me everything you have, duplexes to 200 units, A class to D class to across the spectrum, right? Because in your mind, you're casting the widest net to sort of see what's out there. And let me tell you, that doesn't translate well for brokers. All that broker hears is, this is someone who doesn't know what they're doing. They don't know what they want. And so my recommendation is if you are the first time that you contact these brokers and they say, what do you want? They say, be very specific. And while you might think that you're casting a shallow net, what you're doing is communicating a level of sophistication and knowledge and intentionality. So instead of saying, the broker says, okay, tell me what you want. You say, well, I want something between two to 40 units in a B, a B or A class asset built between 1960 to 1980. I want it to be a value add. I want it to be between these two pieces of the cities, right? So that sounds very specific, but all of a sudden you, what you've done is triggered that broker to say, I've got a real buyer on my hands. I'm going to go and find that person a deal. Or when I find something that fits a criteria, they're going to be the first person I'm going to call. Or I have something that might be very adjacent to that kind of a property. I'm going to give it to them because they seem very intentional. So one, go out, talk to brokers and be very specific about what you want and why you want it. And two, build a great team. 
talk about the great accountant that you have, the SEC attorney that you have, the great coach that you hired to help guide you through the syndication process, the support teams. You know, start to build a team that is part of your sample deal package so you can talk about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And while people might just be talking to you, you can represent that you have a full team of people that will help you execute um, any deal that a broker would bring that fits your investment criteria. So how can people, how do they figure out what they want? All right. So when you call up that broker, how do they sound convincing enough? What does that look like? How do they sound? How do they sound convincing enough with what they're what they're looking for? Yeah, I mean, right. Well, I mean, how can they sound so that the broker can take them seriously? Sure. Well, one, the first thing you're going to do is make sure you're using the right language, right? Make sure you understand what a value add means. Make sure you understand what a capitalization rate is. Make sure you have an understanding of what kind of lo- what different loan terms and the financing and or operational structures look like. So before you call, make sure that you are well versed in the kind of terminology and real estate vernacular that a professional, a broker is going to expect from you. So spend the time to understand all of the components of the the kind of conversations that experienced real estate investors have. So have that language down and have that level of um, just insight and knowledge into your local market, be able to articulate and identify um, sort of specific landmarks or neighborhood names. So putting all those pieces together really communicates a lot of uh, both confidence and competence to those brokers. Sounds complicated, Drew. It's not. It's not. Um, it's it's just like it's uh, you know Carl Jung, the uh, one of the, the the modern modern sort of founders of psychology said you know the gesture comes before the the savior right which means you have to do this a few times to get comfortable with it right and it's good to go out and just learn some things and know the first time you have a conversation it's not going to go well and it's going to continue to get better right you're never going to come out out of the gate as the savior you're going to come out as the gesture right and so. What you have to do is action. There's no substitute for action. And that's one of the things I encourage my students is to say, um, it might sound complicated, but you know what? You have this a couple of times. You start going down this path and you'll become well-versed. You'll become confident and competent. And so in order to get to that level where you are sounding like the investor that a broker wants to hear, um, you have to take action. You have to move forward. And I'll tell you what action is not. Okay? Action isn't reading your 18th real estate book. Action is not reading, you know, listening to your 2,000th hour of a Bigger Pockets podcast because you should be listening to Michael Blumas, right? Unless he's on Bigger Pockets. But, right, that is knowledge building activities. That is not action oriented activities. And so, with my students, we spend a lot of time talking about what are the actions that lead you towards moving something down the line. Right. What is the actions that lead you towards getting a deal? So you work with dozens of our students. Uh, yes. How long does it take someone from essentially from the, from the beginning to, you, you were, use the words confidence and competence, to achieve a minimal level of confidence and competence so that the broker doesn't say, hey, yeah, send me your proof of funds and I'll send you what I got. Like yeah. how long realistically does it take someone to get to that point? 90 days. 90 days. Our program is structured around a 90-day window where that first 30 of that 90 days is structured around, let's get you confident with the language. I want to educate you on all things multifamily real estate so you understand what is, what is happening when people are talking about how to analyze deals. Days, you know, month two and three, days 30 through 90, we're spending time talking about what markets you want to go into, how you're going to analyze those markets. What are the team that you're going to be putting around? How do we use the kind of sophisticated syndication tools that give you the best chance of understanding what your risk-adjusted returns looks like. 
right? So after those first three months, you are a well-oiled machine. You're going to go out there and that's what we do for the last nine months of the program is we're analyzing deals. We're making offers. And we're, we're doing things. We're seeing students get things in that three to six month window because they've spent the time and the effort to get them ready to go after 90 days and you are on the ground making offers and you are ready to execute uh, on your first syndication. It surprises me. I mean, it was it was a big surprise how quickly someone can get up to speed with or without prior real estate investing experience. Like it's it's just amazing. Like D David Camara, you know, he came out of the shoot and within like 11 months did like three or four deals even like from scratch. You know, yes. that's amazing. Uh, uh, you know, Jake Volan, a 21 year old Air Force cadet, you know, brings us $11 million deal through the deal desk. Like it's like amazing. Like how can, how is this possible? But people are always surprised to learn that this is possible. And the really myth out there is that, hey, you know, I need five to 10 years of single family house investing experience. And then I will take that experience and quote, graduate. And right. I, I thought the same thing. I flipped 36 houses and I called my broker up. I use the same line you did. Hey, I'm a, I'm a real estate investor and I send me your deals. And they're like, yeah, that's great, Michael. You know, send me your proof of funds. I'm like, well, I just lost all my money in the restaurant, so I don't have any proof of funds. And I kind of crawled away. I was like, what did I just do wrong? I don't understand what I just did wrong. And now in hindsight, yeah. I know exactly what I did wrong. And so it's amazing how quickly people can get results. And that is, that yes. is truly amazing. One of the other things I've noticed, and we talked about, you know, things that take less time than we think is the amount of time to do your first deal. Now, when I first started this four or five years ago, we allocated a good 12 months to doing your first deal. And we still do that, right? I mean, I think you got to set yourself up for success. And someone says, I'm going to do my first deal in the next two months. Like, yeah, I don't, I mean, you could. I mean, there's some people who have done their first deal in the first 90 days, but it doesn't really set you up for success. However, we have found collectively that there's one thing that really accelerates the process and that's joint venturing. Also, mm -hmm. feeding into that joint venturing process, really uh, playing into your strengths, right? So the different career tracks in this syndication is something that we became aware 18, 24 months ago where, you know, someone is really struggling with the analysis part of it. They're just banging their head against the Excel spreadsheets like, you can do this. You can be a better version of yourself if you just get your, wrap your head around these spreadsheets, you know, and there's this, yeah. this conflict and this frustration. Talk to us about yes. how powerful joint venturing is and playing into your strengths. Yeah. You know, one of the most exciting things about being a, a coach and part of the mentoring program is seeing how the, the sort of cohort of existing students have coalesced into these great little investment groups, right? They've been able to find people that complement um, their skills, experience, geography, even geography, and how they end up sort of partnering together. And it's an incredibly powerful tool because you're exactly right. There, there are a couple things that people are really good at. There's people that things that they really like doing. And then there's things that they're, they're bad at both of those, you know? So to be able to get into a partnership with someone else is incredibly powerful because all of a sudden you've got a combined balance sheet. You've got a combined capital that you can work with. In syndication, we have a tremendous amount of flexibility that we can accommodate all these different, doesn't have to be a 50-50 partnership. We can accommodate sort of whatever structure works. And so the exciting thing about this mentoring coaching program is that you're not just working with a coach, but you're working with a huge group of network, a network of people that are similarly minded and are going down the same path as you and are eager and motivated to execute the first syndication deals. So it's not just the, the, your coach you're working with, you get introduced to all the, all the other students that your coach is working with. And you get to go to all the great live events and speak with people from across the country who are working with other coaches. You know, so we have, we have these great sort of online networking uh, events that we put on. We have digital 
channels where people can communicate, we can get feedback on deals. And in fact, on our channels, when people are looking at underwriting deals, we have a half a dozen people that are on every day that will give you live feedback. So it isn't just about when your coach can talk to you, you have a huge level of community at several different engagements that will help keep you motivated, help keep you accountable, and help keep your progress moving every day. So as long as you're committed to it, there's a group of people who are equally as committed and excited about it. So that, that joint venturing, I think, crosses a tremendous amount of the, uh, the community that we've, been, that we've been building and attributes to a lot of the success. Very few deals are done by yourself. It's having those partners in place that helps get those things done. Let's develop that a little bit more. I, I think clearly programs like like ours, really what we try to do is we, we try to facilitate the joint venturing and the networking with each other because we're working with so many different students. We see their strengths and their weaknesses and we mm. see where the opportunity is. So when someone finds a deal, we're able to pair them with someone who's maybe raising yes. capital all the time. Now, and that's great. That's a main advantage of obviously our, our program. But let's talk about the joint venturing for someone maybe who is not in a position of joining our program. Let, let's Can we provide some guidance around joint venturing and how they can use joint venturing to accelerate the process of, of doing their first deal? I think within the probably the, the first step with joint venture is going to be how do you find like-minded people um, like yourself? I think the number one way to do that is start going to meetup groups. Start going to real estate investment groups, meetup groups, other people that are searching in the same geographic area. Um, sort of find out where is there might be some compatibility, right? So getting to those meetup events is a very powerful thing. And one thing I tell my students is when you're out there sort of putting yourself out, putting your brand out with these meetup groups, find ways to contribute and add value to those groups. Offer to give a five-minute presentation on multifamily. Do anything that puts you in a position of some authority to contribute to sort of what these groups are putting on. Start your own meetup group, right? Find out there's, there are a lot of people, there's people in every town who are looking to do this. What you're trying to do is find ways to coalesce those people into one area and have an aligned vision, right? And that vision is really important. So there's the people side, right? How do you get the right people in the same room, whether it's through a mentoring program, you know, just simple free meetup investment groups. And then what is the vision that those people share? Are they interested in doing the kind of things that you're doing? Do you, do you have the kind of vision, personality fits that really work towards your same goals of being able to acquire you know, large multifamily assets? Yeah, I think it's it's so powerful. I and mean, we talked about the story of the, of the the person banging her head against the Excel spreadsheet. That person went on to essentially become a capital raiser because she was a relationship person. That's what she loved to do. And so she chose the capital raiser career track versus those others who are maybe more analytical yeah. uh, and detail-oriented. And they gravitate more towards the deal finding. And what's happening is that these are people who are forming joint venture relationships with each other. And they're playing into their strengths. They're doing what they love to do. They're doing what they're good at. In so doing, they're partnering with each each other to both do their first deals and therefore allowing them to scale their portfolio together. And, and the people who insist on doing it themselves eventually will become successful. It yep. just takes longer. Yes. And, and this is the great, great power um, of joint venturing. What's kind of your, your advice to someone you know, who's listening to this going, my gosh, this Drew guy, he's got a pretty nice life, but may, he's been working on us for years and years and years, and he's got a giant portfolio. What advice do you have for someone who just wants to get started right now and wants to get to their first deal? Like, what, 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 what advice would you give them? I think one was obviously start a meetup or attend a meetup. That was certainly one of them. Yep, yep, attend a meetup. You know, if you have the ability, join a local real estate, I mean, like the meetup groups. Michael, you have a great book there in the background that I recommend to people all the time. This one here, right this there. yellow one, That's financial freedom. One. Yeah, financial freedom yeah. with real estate investing. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I, that I is a good point. That as well. If you want to spend <laughs> a couple of bucks to learn how how some of these pieces work and get some of the advice, some of the more depth that we're talking about, 
you know, go read a book. There's some great podcasts yourself, you know, your, your syndication podcast, go out there and absorb some content and to try to understand sort of what, what it might be next. And I, I think that I think what the, the biggest thing is having committing to a vision to say, I'm going to do this and then leading, taking action steps that lead you towards getting a deal, right? What are the things that will actually lead you towards getting the next deal done? And find, find some accountability in your life. Find some people who are like-minded that you want to talk with um, that have a similar vision towards moving down this path. Don't do this alone. Real estate is a team sport, right? This is a team sport. Even if you do deals yourself, you need to be surrounded by the kind of people, whether it's the bankers, talk to the bankers. What are the kind of people, what are the kind of people who are doing deals? Talk to the brokers, talk to the property managers, right? Property managers are probably your most important partner in this puzzle. Okay? Talk to the people that um, are being successful and find ways to sort of learn what that they're doing. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is take action, educate yourself, but don't educate yourself through the nose. At one point, you actually do have to take action. Correct. And I, I really love what Hal Elrod said at uh, Dealmaker Live and also in his book, The Miracle Equation, is you really want to commit to the outcome. You really want to commit to the outcome. Mm-hmm. I see the people who are committed to the outcome, they just naturally take action. And some people are not committed to the outcome and they take either no action or they peter out after a couple months. So I think that commitment really gets them through through these difficult times. You mentioned our mentoring program and um, it is a good program. It's not really for everybody, but if someone wanted to work with you or one of our full-time apartment investor coaches, how, how would they be able to connect with you? Yeah. So the best way to do that would be to go to the michaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. And you'd be able to see all of the mentors that we have that manage students full-time, what our backgrounds are. And you also be able to set up a introductory sort of strategy call to see if this would be a good fit for you. So I would encourage anyone, themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. So obviously, uh, mentoring is not for for everyone. There's a sizable investment involved as, as well. My observation is, though, that it accelerates the process significantly. I mean, that's why I'm so excited about this this program is that our students who are literally committing to the outcome, they're just taking action and they're getting so successful so quickly. It is is mind-boggling. However, again, I, I truly believe that everyone, given who is committed to the outcome, is what Hal Elrod says, committed to the outcome will eventually become successful. So you're really committing to the outcome, not so much the time frame, right? But for yeah. people who want to compress that time frame, this might be a great way to go. Drew, any kind of parting advice, things that uh, you want people to remember from today's show? Yeah, I think, I mean, just a couple of things. One, take action. Do things that lead you to get to the result. Have that firm vision in your mind of where you want your life to go. How can you impact the world? How do you sort of see your life playing out? And let that fuel the vision for you taking these, these steps. I think the second one is, you know, find, find partners. Find people in this that you want to engage with individually, in person. You know, do things in person. Meet with people. Build teams. And so engage. This is a this is the team sport. Let's keep um, keep engaged with the people and, and, and find ways to develop those relationships. So you obviously have a lot of experience yourself, but you have the added benefit of literally working with dozens of other people. So I really appreciate you coming on board and, and really kind of making it simple for us to understand. So thanks very much for being on the show today, Drew. Great. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.